What's up everyone? Welcome to the Decan Show and this is a series called Legal-ish. It's a series where we talk about all the legal questions that we have or you may have and we do so every week with everyone's favorite lawyer, Ahmed Oda. Welcome to your tribe. Hey yo, what's up and welcome to another episode of the Ducan Show's Legal-ish with none other than our favorite lawyer, the man himself, Ahmed Oda in the building. What's going on? Hey, what's going on guys? How's it going? Merry Christmas. Oh, if you're uh, if you're celebrating, if you're celebrating, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Reem. Yes, I love Christmas. We put up the tree the other day. It was so fun. I'm into I'm into I'm into Christmas. I'm I, it's a festive season. Me too. I did some roast turkey yesterday. That was a lot of fun. You did? Ooh. Yeah, I got turkey coming out in my ears right now. So I'm... how long did you cook this turkey for? Two and a half hours. It was like okay, about so three and a half kilos. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great. You know, buttered it up, dressed it up. You know, made it look pretty. All right, look yeah, at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. <sighs> Turkey game on lock. <laughs> All right, we got some interesting stories and a lot of interest and even more interesting questions coming up for you today. Reem, you got the mic. So in sad news for me, uh, there's a company called Spree, which is an online uh, shopping platform that was geared towards moms in Dubai and the Middle East. And one of the reasons I really was so happy this company existed is because it was started by a woman here in Dubai. And unfortunately, it seems like they are filing for liquidations. They have failed to find buyers. And uh, Ahmed, what 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 do you think of the face of tech now? that we're seeing, you know, these closures. I just want to know, first of all, where did all the the money that they've raised gone to? Because it says that the startup has raised close to $15 million. Yeah, they were not small. Yeah, including $8.5 million in Series A funding um, in June of last year. And then they were also... Uh, in talks with a with a large Saudi retail group to raise funding, but the results did not materialize. And the thing is, where did that money go? How was it, you know, burned through in such a short period of time? But then they're saying that they're taking the decision to liquidate on the basis that they haven't paid their vendors in the last two months. Challenging. So we're not exactly clear if if this challenge was a, a something that could be could have been mitigated. Whether whether they took a Mm, a premature decision to liquidate, we don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, to be honest with you, I, you don't know any business until you op- you, you're inside. It's kind of, you know, once you're inside its guts, then you really understand, you know, the reasoning behind why a CEO would choose to close down a business. However, uh, what I find so interesting is that I didn't expect Spree to be the one of one of the companies that folded by the end of this year. I mean, I didn't ex- I didn't expect a AWOC, was it AWOC, the first one, that first big fold. I didn't expect that to fold either by just by sheer um the the amounts of uh money that were raised and the people who were on the boards. I didn't think that it could, but I think if you're trying to compete with Amazon, you're going to have some difficulty just across the board. <laughs> so, you know. The Modus 2. The, if you've heard of it, the modest. Right. Yes. Yes, that's I right. I forgot about that. Yeah. They also raised $15 million and that was, uh, that was gone. 
So it seems like 15 million is not enough to get your tech company off the ground if you are an online platform that's trying to compete with Amazon. Right. But that's the thing. It also goes to show that no matter how good an idea is, sometimes it's just not, it's just not its time. You know, you never know how these operations go down internally. Um, but again, I think it's not to dishearten people from considering or looking to a potential of setting up online businesses. It's just really navigating finances better, I guess, in some ways, but also understanding it, this is part of the game, right? There's always that risk factor. One day you might not make it. One day you might hit the jackpot and you play the cards accordingly. Correct. That being said, there are a lot of businesses I know of this year that did tremendously well. And some of them actually had the best year ever in terms of growth and sustainability and, and um, a lateral growth, all kinds of uh, uh you know, good stuff that came through their way. And that's because not by luck, but by sheer hard work that they, you know, broke through all the challenges and the, you know, and the, and the stigma, the, the, you know, the pity of base, you know, of being in sort of quarantine or COVID. They're like, no, we're not going to, you know, sit on, um, sit on our bums and just act as if this is uh, something that is beyond our control. We're going to take ownership of it and, and do something about it. Absolutely. So shout out to them. That's what's up. Congratulations. Um, yeah, of all types, of all types of industries. Restaurants included, by the way. Some restaurants are doing pretty well. Yeah. Yo, no doubt. So those are, well, that is the story we had for today. A uh, bit of a sad one, but also a lot of learnings there, I guess, for everybody. Moving on to questions. All right. Kicking off with the first question for the week. I was contacted by an ad agency to partake in a brand campaign for one of their clients. This was a social media campaign where I was required to co-create an artwork with another artist. So now we know this person's an artist. Um, and that was set to be auctioned off at one of UAE's most notable galleries. And the money was set to go to charity. The campaign ends up going live on billboards across social media and various other forms of media that is not what initially that has been agreed to. Um, and also turns out that the gallery never confirmed interest and there is no auction. I didn't sign a contract and agreed to get on this project based on the charity incentive itself. I feel gypped. What legal grounds do I have? What can I do? That's a really good question. It's got lots of other, lots of factors involved in it, lots of things that can be discussed. And I'd like you guys to get involved as well with your thoughts. And yeah, so the first thing I've, yeah, that, that comes and jumps at me is, you know, why no contract? Even if it is a contract that is based on charitable grounds, you, you put a contract down. At least you kind of set out the obligations of each, of each party and understand where the, the revenues are going to go and the copyright as well. But none of that was put down in writing contract. Thankfully, these days... A lot of contracts are kind of agreed on and over email. So you could, you know, piece together what the contract was all about uh, if you followed the trailing emails. So I can't say for sure that there is like there's zero contract. I'm sure they had some kind of discussion. Let's go with that. Because uh, usually in these cases, mm -hmm. there's like tons of emails going back and forth and confirming interest and availability. And this is what we want to do, right? Like we, we're in the industry ourselves. So we've seen those and we've been part of these email chains for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So, well, I'm a bit unclear here because as we know, um, if work was used for a social media campaign, there's a, there's a, tra there's a trail of approvals that nothing just shows up online for a brand without approvals. Correct. So did, 
OT, do you know if this work got used? Like, it did this artist's work get used in the in the campaign across the UAE? So yeah, yeah, so the campaign uses his face and likeness. It's him and another artist. Oh, his face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was in the campaign. The campaign was about them creating this art piece. Oh, so they use his. Okay. Yeah. Ahmed, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing is the work has been done. Okay. And that, that just goes to show that there was some kind of uh, approval process that took place. The ad agency accepted the, uh, the work that was done by the artist. And by, and by acceptance, we mean that they actually went off and advertised it on billboards and social media. So the confirmation of the acceptance is there. So they can't, the ad agency can't turn back and say, oh, actually, we didn't use your stuff. It wasn't good. You sucked. But no, actually, it was used and that could easily be proven. So what he has to do is basically claim the equivalent of the work that he's done. Whatever it is, a, an artist of his caliber and experience would charge in, in other projects. And then he would, he would have to basically retrospectively invoice them and say, look, guys, since this is this has not gone out to it for a charitable cause and I'd, I'd, I'm rightfully as for the law should be compensated for the time that I've put in we didn't agree on a set figure however these are my fees is my rates this is what I believe the estimated rate should be you know kindly pay accordingly obviously they'll negotiate if the negotiations don't work you know they don't come to a settlement or if the company the ad agency outright refuses to pay uh, then he has a full right to go to court and and claim that amount. But that amount will be based on what the court's determination is based on what a an artist of his experience would be charging. Okay. So if the artist say, you know, if he says, I, I'm owed 50,000, but then the court can turn around and say, like, yeah, but, you know, the, the uh, let's say the average is 30,000. So you'd be getting somewhere in between. But definitely he'll get compensated. So just a question about that, because I know a lot of people will be thinking it. Um, so he will send an invoice to the agency and the agency may or may not reject it. If they reject it, what, where does he go? Does he go straight to the court? Does he go to a law office? Is this, Yeah, he you can know, go to a law office. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge promoter of access to justice, but cases like these require a little bit of finesse. Uh, a law firm would assist him in, in appointing an expert to determine how much he should be charging based on his experience, time and effort. And then he'll submit that report to the court. The court will understand and they'll make a, a determination based on the expert's report. So it's not, it's not a clear cut case because you have to basically dig around the facts to come up with a, uh, an estimation. But the good thing is work has been done. So there is some type of compensation that is applicable. How much? We don't know. And what about using his face? Because according to what OT just said, they used his face in a campaign. Um, what about using his face without approval for a campaign? He might have approved it. Okay, I see. Because it seems like from the context that he, he approved the, the work being used, but not necessarily for the campaign that was, um, you know, that was up. So, and, it w and also not for the other platforms the agreement was on social media but then it went into various media he has pictures on billboards and um, other forms of media that were not initially um, that he didn't approve or didn't know of right as per his agreement with them yeah so then all right let's go back to the question again so what legal grounds do i have so we don't know whether he wants his name to be his uh you know the work to be removed from social media entirely or whether he actually wants compensation for the work that he did. 
in this case, I think for any artist, um, <laughs> understanding what artists go through, I would assume it's compensation. But then it's like, if you're not going to get compensated, well, then take take it off, right? Take it down, take it down, and and, and you know, I need I need some kind of uh, penalty. But it's it's better for him to claim, you know, compensation, saying yes, I actually did the job, pay me. <laughs> it's easier for him to to claim that. You're not um, you're not a huge celebrity for you to to claim penalties and you know, uh, what they call these like sort of, uh, injunctions and, you know, get into that. And, uh, just a question out of my own curiosity, is there, uh, is there a system or a institution where people who, uh, are under this circumstance, either artists or freelancers, is there a place that they can go for, uh, legal accessible legal, um, support? Because I don't know, this might not be big enough Uh, as a as an in as an invoice i don't i can't tell but what if most artists don't have a lot of money is what i'm trying to get to is there an access to justice platform or place or institution in town that they can reach out to to get some support i know one for labor and for rental disputes because those are those are highly sought after type of jurisdictions for filing cases and disputes. But what we're talking about here is more of a civil case, commercial dispute. There is no, not that I know of, there is no sort of clinic type of legal clinic per se, where you can just go and ask, you know, free questions because it really, you know, it depends on the, the facts and the type of case that you have. The best thing that you, you could do is, is go to a law firm and obtain a written opinion from, from a lawyer to, to, you know, to give you a breakdown of exactly what you are, you know, what your legal rights are and how much you are owed. Unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, don't want that. It, it's actually quite baffling to me. I don't understand why someone would not want to go and get a written opinion on his rights. And people go to doctors to get a full, you know, diagnosis of what they, you know, of what they have, but they won't go and get a diagnosis of what their commercial issue is and what, what they can seek from court. It's uh, it's really simple. I think in a, in for some, they, they might not have that knowledge. They don't know that that's a thing. That that's, that's a service they can avail of. And then secondarily, I think it's just financial as well. Um, most artists live uh, paycheck to paycheck or they live, you know, with long periods where there's not a lot of income coming in and they have families to support. So they sometimes balance that question out about whether or not. Also, I think that artists and lawyers seem to be opposed, even though they're actually very similar. The more I, the more I interact with both, I realize, wow, you guys are actually really similar. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay, I know I'm digressing a little bit from the question, but like, I understand people want certainty in life, in anything that they do. And that isn't usually the case when you go to professionals. Uh, and it's frustrating to them and also for, to us as professionals for us not to give a, a direct, a straight answer as to whether you could win a case or not, whether you could get the full amount or not. And, but that is the reality we have to, we're not judge and jury. Absolutely. It's frustrating for, for the clients to say that. And then the more TV shows they watch and the suits and all that stuff, the more their minds just get jumbled up even, <laughs> you know, so why can't you be the Harvey Specter and then turn things around and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> It's not, that is not reality. So then uh, I totally get that. So then here's, uh, I think, last follow-up question. Um, do, do we send them to MIO Law Firm? Is that where they go? <laughs> is that where they go? <laughs> is that where they should go? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Shameless plug. No, All right. Yeah, well, 
But that's really the only place I would recommend they go. Genuinely, like genuinely, it is the only place oh, I thanks, would recommend you guys. they go. Without without fail. There are other good lawyers I know of in my community. There are, that would be that also are amazing people and and I'm, really. I'm good. sure they are. It's just not MIO law firm. I'm sure. I'm sure I'm they're lovely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure they're wonderful and they're actually very talented lawyers. But I mean, you know, you know, how let's just you know. let's just you know call a spade a spade. Yeah. you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, where'd you get the, where's that term from? I, I heard of that. <laughs> I heard of that term before. Uh, yep. Yeah. I just call it like okay. it is. Exactly. That, that's the purpose of the term. Where we got it from? Pop culture. Exactly. Pop culture. All right. Mm. Question two. <laughs> question two. Okay. So this is a work from home question. Hello. My company is still working from home and I will continue and will continue to do so for the next while. My boss says that it's mandatory to have the camera on during all Zoom calls. But to be honest, I don't feel comfortable with that due to my shared living space. I have asked numerous times to be exempt from this. And he said that he has the right. Is this a violation of my privacy? Is there anything I can legally do? Mm. Shared living space is a very, is a key component of what was being said. So that means, that means the calls basically yeah. will infringe on the, on the privacy of other people that may be around. And here's the thing, working from home is a luxury that not everybody could afford. Yes. Not everyone has a desk. Not everyone, you know, people, people don't exactly live in, you know, that lavish or not, not everyone that lives in pretty large spaces. So what we're getting here is it's not always the case that, that the video can be on because it's just not appropriate and that's fine. Does his or her boss have the right to say, oh, you have to have it on at all times? <laughs> of course, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. It's crazy, right? Is it as crazy to me as it? Okay, it's crazy. <laughs> okay, thank you. Just be on the call, but you don't have to have the video on. And sometimes people don't like to be, to be seen on video all the time and it's okay. Yeah. Right. No, I totally get that. Because, you know, if uh, if you haven't had your coffee, you didn't fix your face. Like, I get it. You know, mornings could be challenging. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, the the genuine excuse here is that if there's other people, then those people might be might feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a violation of their privacy rights for sure. That's not cool. Right. Agreed. That was a, a faster answer, which is good. All right. Moving on to question three. So this is a short one, which is not a legal question, Ahmed, but out of curiosity, since we're, you know, we've been doing this for a while, felt like it's definitely worth asking you. Uh, what's the worst legal advice you've heard someone give a client? My friends told me. <laughs> I asked this person who has a friend that is a lawyer. <laughs> my friends told me. <laughs> my friends told me my... Uh, um, yeah, my husband or wife told me, um, and usually these people, the people that told them have probably had bad experiences <laughs> themselves. And um, another one that's really, really bad is don't go to a lawyer because they're expensive and they only, you know, they're only qualified for their own, you know, goodwill. I mean, like, you know, there's a reason. I've, ha I've actually yeah. received that advice, believe it or not. Doctors are expensive. Auditors are expensive. Professionals are expensive. There's a reason why we are called professionals, you know, because there's because we are we are held accountable for the things that we say and do. That from the moment that you, you a client sits in the meeting room, every word that a lawyer says is counted and there has weight and it can be used against us if we say something that is, 
you know, uh, that is not right or not legal is a somewhat of a dangerous profession, similar to doctors, you know, that's why professional negligence is there. There is such a thing as malpractice and negligence. If you mess up as a lawyer, you could get, you know, you could get your license removed. You could get into big trouble. And this is, it's not a joke being, being a professional. We charge, you know, high for a reason because we need to give you the right advice for you to, um, uh, for you to make your, you know, commercial decisions. Look, if you don't have the money to pay for it, you don't want to pay for it, just say you don't want to pay for it. Just, you know, it's okay. But don't, don't hate on lawyers or, or any professionals for that matter. Just say, I, you know, if you don't have the money to define, just wing it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> don't say it. The advice sounds like it comes from people who've actually not been to lawyers or never interacted with a lawyer specifically. That's true. 99% actually I've never had someone come to me and say, well, I'm coming to you because I got an opinion, a written opinion from another lawyer, and I wasn't confident that that opinion was, a, was right. And I'm coming to you for a second written opinion. I've never had someone come to me and say, this is a written opinion from a lawyer. I'd like you to cross-check and confirm whether this opinion is true or not. No. Yeah, so what's so crazy is that um, for me, if you can, when we get a medical opinion and the doctor probably didn't have great bedside manner, I will, without fail, get a second medical opinion. Always. The doctor didn't indicate that this person was not competent or that he wasn't a good doctor. His bedside manner just didn't please me. I felt uncomfortable for whatever reason in that meeting. Right. And so I felt like I had the right to go to a second medical opinion. But you're correct. With all the legal issues in my commercial, I have never gone to get a second opinion. Maybe because I didn't think that it was necessary. Mm. I do vet my lawyer. Oh, look, I do vet like hardcore at the beginning. But I agree, I don't think my peers do either. And I think it would be a brilliant practice to get a second opinion because we're human. Everyone's professional and has a different, and everyone's fallible. Is it a cost concern? It's always a cost con- It's always a cost concern. So is that why someone would not get, not go for a second opinion? Um, yeah, pretty much. But also even the first, the reason why is because the first opinion is usually verbal and based on premature diagnosis. If you were to get a verbal opinion from a, from a doctor on your first or second visit, you wouldn't be so confident because he probably wouldn't have done the proper testing and diagnosis. If he gave you a proper report based on um, the type of uh, studies that he's done or, or tests, then you'd be like, okay, not bad. And guess what? When you go to the second doctor, that second doctor will make his determination based on the tests or lack thereof that was performed by the, by the previous doctor say, oh, wait, that doctor missed out on this, 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 this. Therefore, his determination was wrong or mm, in, uh, not wrong. You could say inaccurate. But I think also in my opinion, I, I, to, when I think back on it, most of the times where I would go for second opinions, there's something I would always notice with doctors' demeanor with their dismissive. This thing of, I know what I'm doing, don't worry. Okay, I got it. They just look at you, they'll talk to you for fun. Like, I know what this is. Because there's a written opinion. Exactly. Lawyers, lawyers I've always noticed, are a lot more attentive and would ask you so many questions off the bat. And whether, regardless of seniority, it feels like it's a practice that's been embedded into every lawyer out out the gate of graduation that you have to be able to listen first and ask key critical questions. And I assume obviously with doctors, it's the same, but there's, um, they, I've experienced dismissive natures with doctors, unlike I have with lawyers. That's interesting. Could you, could you expand on that? I've seen a lot of doctors on my life and it's one of those things where 
without running tests, they based on what you've told them, they assume they know what's wrong, right? It could be correct. It could be incorrect. That's that's besides the point. But I think the reaction of, okay, I know what this is. And it's like, well, let's, can we do tests first? Like, oh, no need. I know exactly what the problem is. That to me, I'm like, yeah, that's, that doesn't make me feel confident about you as a doctor, right? Um, that That's always a big red flag. Like they can be the nicest person in town. They could be wonderful personalities, but the moment you don't want to do an analysis or any kind of test and just looking at you and tell you they know what's wrong, that's always a big red flag. And I've experienced a lot of doctors that do that. Mm. Whereas with lawyers, that hasn't been the case. Lawyers, as I was saying, like, no, no, they will ask, they will grill you before even deciding if this has any merit. <laughs> I wish legal services were insured. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> would have been, would have been retired by now. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Speaking of, speaking of medical and legal, I've got a question. So we know that there's been major breakthroughs in the world of vaccination and COVID-19. It's starting to roll out in different countries. I know, you know, that people, the, the, uh, the vaccine has been administered to civilians uh, in some countries. So the question that is on my mind is, can I be compelled to take the vaccine? So can it, is, can, can, is it legal for my workplace or anywhere? For, for me to be compelled to take the, vac- the vaccine? Such a good question. And it's, it's, on, everybody's, it's on everybody's minds, including mine uh, as well. And first of all, it is very possible for, for the country or the, uh, for the, you know, for the federal government to adopt a, you know, a complete, you know, statewide vaccination policy. It is very possible. Uh, similar to if you be traveling to Saudi for, you know, for Umrah, um, there are certain vaccinations that you have to take before you travel. I forgot what they are right now, yellow fever or something like that. Um, here, there are two laws that regulate the the whole idea for, you know, sort of health, health and safety. And uh, one is a federal law for communicable disease and pre- prevention, um, that, that was issued in, back in 1981. And then the second one is a cabinet resolution in 2020 for the regulating, regulating the violations of precautionary measures and instructions and duties imposed to curb the spread of novel coronavirus. So there is a resolution per se that is, that is there. Now, what that resolution says, um, a natural legal person shall not violate the precautionary and preventative measures and instructions and duties regarding health and safety preservation in order to control the risk of spread of coronavirus. And that is based on what the Ministry of Health is saying. So if in the event that the federal government says all residents have to receive the COVID vaccine, then this law or the provision of this law will be applicable. That means everybody has to do it. But in the event that your employer is just saying, no, I want you to, to, to get the vaccine because I said so, obviously that's not going to fly. At the moment, there was no type of resolution that has been issued. I mean, there's no law that says that you have to take the vaccine. I don't know if you can. 
Okay, and we'll keep an eye out for it because I think that it is something that eventually we'll all have to tackle at some point, especially um, considering how diligent the UAE has been with regards to the practice of protecting everybody from COVID. I think this is an inevitable question that has to be answered as soon as you know the vaccine gets cleared to go to mass. And uh, well, yeah, we'll keep everybody updated as as we go. From a personal standpoint, I think that there's very few few vaccines that are, have actually been mandated over the um, over the course of human history, um, such as smallpox. If if there is a disease that the that the world knows that it can be completely eradicated, destroyed forever, then they will that they will mandate vaccine for the for it. But COVID or coronavirus diseases are never going to stop. They're just going to keep coming back in different forms. You know, we've had them over the past of I don't know how many hundred years, and they just come in different different various shapes forms. So for you for you to mandate a vaccine for a specific coronavirus, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, that's that's my personal opinion. Mm, I see. But I, the way that I sometimes think about it is that it could be in response just to the political and cultural and social climate that we're currently in. Not necessarily, you know what I mean? It's it's more of a response to what we're experiencing as a global community, um, not necessarily for the purpose of eradicating, but rather for uh, giving ease of mobility and re- kind of returning the world to some sense of normality. Um, but let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. Uh, we will. And I think on that note as well, just more importantly, uh, dear listener, please do not believe the WhatsApp forwards that you're getting from family and friends and from the aunties about anything COVID related. There's a lot of rumors going around. <laughs> there is a lot okay. of... Um, <laughs> what are they saying? I don't know what's I going on. Um, there has, oh, there, there, the thing is that I'm in probably no less than 20 WhatsApp groups and conspiracy theories flying left, right and center, whether from all kinds of communities. So please um, don't believe your auntie's messages. She's just forwarding without reading because the title scared her. So dear listener, (laughs) I urge you, please check sources and validate that information. (laughs) For real. Seek out a professional. This is our PSA for this week. Please be careful out there. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Can Show Legal-ish. We'll be back next week. And as always, if you got any legal questions for Ahmed Oda, please slide in our DMs or you could drop us a line via our email to hello at thecanmedia.com. And we always do keep it anonymous. Stay safe. Stay friendly. Peace. Take care, guys. Take care. Peace. Bye. Thank you for kicking it with us today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode as much as we enjoyed creating it for you. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast at to stay up to date with all our conversations. Also, if you don't mind, hit us with the five-star rating, leave a comment, let us know how you feel about the show. That way, it could also help others find the show. And be sure to share it with your friends and family, whoever you think can benefit from it. You can holler at us on all social media platforms at The Can Show. We'd love to hear from you. Or you could drop us an email to hello at thecanmedia.com. Salam.